Hi everyone, welcome to the African Dialogue podcast. Today we have a special guest with us, Musa Sumaharo. Welcome, Musa. Thank you, Pezu. Thank you for inviting me to this interview. I'm really delighted to be part of this. Thanks a lot, Musa. So, Musa, um, tell us a bit about yourself. I know for our listeners who don't know you, I think it would be good to just give us a brief introduction of who you are, where you're from as well. Okay. Born and grown there. Um, I'm a conflict analysis and organized crime analyst. Uh, I studied a law and political science in Cote d'Ivoire, respectively, uh, respectively in the at the University of Atlantic and uh, uh, the Center for uh, Research and Action for Peace, uh, based in Abidjan. The uh, there in in Cote d'Ivoire, and uh, since 2015, have been working as a field monitor for the ECOWAS early warning system, uh, which is known as ECO One. And after that, uh, I was uh, recruited by Interpeace, which is an international. Uh, NGO from Switzerland. I was working as a program assistant at the regional office of Interpeace for West Africa, based in Abidjan. And then uh, I moved to the Institute for Peace and Security Studies, based here in, in Addis Ababa, as a researcher uh, in charge of West Africa and Central Sahara. Uh, prior to that, uh, I was a consultant for uh, an Echo One project, uh, which aimed at, uh, uh, at creating response systems in the 15 countries of ECOWAS. So um, in the frame of that project, I worked uh, with uh, several NGOs like the Fund for Peace, uh, Creative and uh, international development agencies like uh, the USAID. Then uh, we, uh, during that, that project, we were able to, to, to lead um, uh, country risk and assessment uh, and, and vulnerabilities assessments for Cote d'Ivoire in order to facilitate the in, installation of uh, the response system to the early warning data produced by ECHO-1. So uh, this is in few words, my, um, my educational and professional backgrounds. Yeah. All right, thanks a lot, Musa. It's very clear you've had um, some vast experience working with different organizations as well so maybe for our listeners who don't know um something that i found very fascinating about musa i had 
the privilege to work with Musa at some point uh, during my professional career is that Musa is actually francophone speaking. So he's from Cote d'Ivoire and he speaks French, but he's actually able to produce very good reports in English as well. I wonder, Musa, how, how has that been? Has it been something that you found as a learning curve? Is it something that has been challenging being francophone, but uh, producing very good reports in the English language? Uh, first of all, um, producing reports in, in English for me um, has always been, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't say a dream, but uh, it has always been a goal. So since uh, the, the high school, when I started learning English, uh, for me, it was, um, uh, it was um, an outstanding goal uh, to, to perform in English and to be able at least to, to, to speak it fluently. But since I started my professional career, I noticed that uh, uh, in all the international organization uh, that I've been in or I've dealt with, uh, English is um, is is key to I mean to grow professionally and uh, be among the outstanding people who are able to so at least um, uh, participate in in prominent events and projects. So for me, it was a goal but a challenge to achieve it. So now I'm uh, it's. It's a very interesting experience for me to be francophone, and uh, um, who has never uh, attended any English-speaking uh, educational system. Yeah. But uh, being able to produce uh, reports in English today is a very good experience, and uh, I, I would say, uh, um, I would I mean thank all my English-speaking colleagues who have always supported me wherever I've been yeah. uh, because they know that I'm francophone and when there are some, I mean, some tips and um, some cultural uh, nuances that I really don't master, the, they, they, they do their, their best to contribute to my growth. So uh, I would like to thank, to thank all of them, in, including you, Pezi. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, it's uh, really uh, honoring to to know that you uh, uh, to know that I'm among people who really care of my uh, professional growth um, and are all, always available to to support uh, when it comes to improving the language level and so on. So it's a very good experience. That's really good, Musa. So you had mentioned how you're currently a consultant in conflict analysis and transnational organized crime. So maybe firstly, you can let us know what motivated you to particularly go into this field of conflict analysis and transnational organized crime. Was it something that you had gone through? Was it just a specific interest? Is it something maybe from 
your country that prompted you to get into this field? What motivated you to get into this field? Oh, uh, well, um, uh, first of all, um, conflict analysis, uh, conflict and transnational organized crime analysis uh, was not a field that I was uh, expecting to, 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 I mean, to explore. Mm. And um, maybe, maybe it would be good, maybe also explain to us what conflict analysis is and then also what transnational organized crime. I think for our listeners who may not be in the field of peace and security, I think this would be, it would be good for you to explain to them what this is. Okay. Okay. Mm. So uh, as I was saying, uh, uh, that field was not... Uh, 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 the one I was expecting to, to, to explore at, at first uh, because I started my uh, <clears throat> my studies by, by law uh, yeah. the University of Atlantic so my expectation was to be an attorney or be a lawyer yeah but later on I reflected on the situation of my country, because we went through very hard times, uh, starting from uh, 2002. So even as, as starting from 1999, we experienced the first coup d'etat in Cote d'Ivoire. And I was reflecting uh, <clears throat> at that time, and I, I came up with that conclusion that uh, Ivorian should be able to contribute to the pacification of uh, the country. So since the people are saying that we are a peaceful country, uh, it's, it's only politicians who are messing the country. So um, I thought that uh, that was a very simplistic um, uh, way of thinking and concluding on the situation of Cote d'Ivoire. So <clears throat> I just said, why not uh, contributing to uh, the generation of, uh, I mean, uh, comprehensive analysis that would um, allow people to have the clear understanding of what is really going on, not only in Cote d'Ivoire, but uh, in our, in our region, because we have a lot of cross-cutting issues, yeah. uh, which include um, transnational organized crime. Uh, because the, the, the Ivorian crisis uh, was protracted because of, of that uh, particular phenomenon, because the rebel group used the product of transnational organized crime to maintain and uh, to maintain themselves and finance their operational um, uh, activities, if I can call uh, those, uh, those action activities. But then anyway, uh, conflict analysis uh, to be simply defined as uh, an organized way and or a structured way to explain, um, to explain, uh, oppositions uh, between uh, different objects. It might be 
um, opposition between ideas, point of views, uh, even uh, between uh, at least two uh, people or more. So if if we go in uh, in depth, we can also classify conflict as personal, interpersonal, uh, inter uh, communal, and so on. Yeah. So conflicts are not necessarily or and even not uh, uh, violence. So conflict based on the way we manage uh, we manage them, we might move to a pacific situation or a violent, uh, a violent uh, opposition. So uh, for example, it's like um, two people might be arguing about um, uh, about uh, I mean a, a political issue in the country, for example, yeah. saying that I'm right and another one would say, no, you're not right. You you are wrong, and on on both sides, uh, one one could notice a very um, uh, a very hard opposition where no one wants to move uh, towards uh, the opponent. So based on the way we manage this kind of opposition, we might move to a kind of reconciliation between the two parties, or uh, a violent situation where people might uh, might get into fights. So uh, this is, um, uh, I mean, uh, shortly, what uh, conflict can be um, understood as uh, as I mean, right now uh, in our societies, interpersonal. Uh, I mean. Intrapersonal conflicts are are not object of uh, extensive extensive studies, but yeah. uh, instead uh, the focus is on interpersonal uh, or intergroup conflicts, as we can see within communities like in Nigeria, where herders and uh, farmers always fight. Yeah. So the focus is on that kind of uh, communal conflicts. And um, we, we, are, we also have armed conflicts, which might be intra-country or inter-country. So when, when you have a rebel group or in insurgent groups in a country fighting the government forces, uh, it's, it's a kind of armed conflict, but still internal. But mm -hmm. when this kind of conflict uh, opposing uh, at least two, two countries. We talk about uh, international armed conflict. So these are the forms uh, toward what um, a, a, a badly managed country uh, conflict can move to. Mm -hmm. So yes, and transnational organized crime uh, is, uh, I mean, correspond to very technical uh, criteria. Yeah. Uh, there are many types of crimes that uh, there are what we call residual crime, and uh, a residual crime. I mean, after a conflict or in a 
in areas where the state is is not present or have limited presence, mm -hmm. we notice uh, small groups, you know, uh, in, involving in criminal activities just for their survival or mm -hmm. sometimes for greed. So when it is limited within uh, this uh, specific area or inside the borders of a specific country, mm -hmm. that cannot be called transnational organized crime. Uh, groups might be organized within the country without going beyond. So these kind of crime are residual since uh, they are acting in a specific space uh, with uh, limited uh, influence. Yeah. But instead, transnational organized crime uh, as defined by the uh, Convention of Palermo, uh, which was adopted in 2000, um, a phenomenon to be called transnational organized crime has to be led by at least three people mm -hmm. who act um, beyond um, a specific border. So at least between two countries yeah. in, uh, uh, I mean, since a, a reasonable time. So the time must be a bit longer. So uh, there, there should be this criteria of frequency okay. where this group of at least three people act between, uh, I mean, uh, at least two borders or which actions can influence more than a country. Okay. So they might not move between borders, but since the, the influence of their action impacts many other countries, yeah. that could also be called transnational organized crime. So, yeah, so these are the, some of the criteria that need to be, to be met. Mm -hmm. uh, for a phenomenon to be called a transnational organized crime. I see. So how specifically would, I know you explained that if obviously the criteria, there has to be three people, it has to affect um, different countries, but also how would transnational crime, like if we look at it and how it's, impact all the way down to like let's say community level because i know for example if if there's illicit activities involved i know already there's a threat on the economic system but what about mm -hmm. if we come on the ground the impact to community level how does transnational organized crime affect communities well um it depends on which side uh, we position ourselves um, from the view of communities who are involved in such activities, um, transnational organized crime is a means of survival. Mm. Because most of, most of the time, as I mentioned, um, in areas or zones where transnational organized crime is well developed, uh, the state is uh, most of the time not present or has limited uh, presence or influence yeah. on, on, on the area. So most of the time, uh, the peop uh, people who in 
get involved in such activities justify themselves saying that the state doesn't do anything for us. Yeah. So we we do our best to take care of ourselves. So uh, what is pointed at here is um, uh, the issue of governance. Yeah. So first of all, so transnational organized crime has that bad impact to criminalize um, in entire societies. Mm-hmm. Starting, yeah, from even from uh, little families to the to to the whole communities. Yeah. So sometimes you, if you go to regions like the Liptakugurma, uh, which spans Mali, Burkina Faso, and Niger. Yeah. Uh, you could notice that many communities including different members are involved at a point in in transnational organized activities, uh, transnational crime uh, activities in the region. So you have uh, people involved in uh, in contraband fuel, which which comes from Benin, Mm -hmm. um, goes through Niger, then is... um, spread throughout the the entire region so it's a trafficking chain yes that involved many 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 uh, categories or many social categories so uh, organized crime really impacts communities uh, who are involved in yeah. uh, why because it, it has the disadvantage the disadvantage to criminalize the whole community yeah so now crime becomes the norm Instead of uh, uh, regular norms that are known from from the states, where everybody has to comply in order to, I mean, to regulate the society and minimize the effect of crime. But in society where organized crime is introduced, yeah, most of the categories are literally criminalized. So this is the main impact of uh, on 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 communities where uh, when it comes to uh, you know uh, identifying the the drawbacks of uh, transnational organized crime yes okay that that's really interesting um to learn about um so how do you think most governments need to approach this phenomenon of transnational organized crime to um, prevent it. I know, for example, when it comes when it comes to conflict analysis, most of the times targeted policy recommendations are provided so that um, whether it's at national or con- or regional and continental level, there's um, recommendations that people can give. But um, what about with transnational organized crime? What can governments do i know you've mentioned also the regional aspects of it because obviously if it involves so many countries there also has to be some kind of a regional response to it but what actual practical responses can be made oh, all right um there are many types of responses uh that could be um uh, used to to handle the issue of uh 
transnational organized crime. Yes. Uh, currently, governments are privileging uh, the, the military or repressive response, okay. which I personally think is not uh, the most appropriate. Yes. Um, uh, to me, the, the most efficient would be uh, um, alternative solutions like engaging a community at the local level. Okay. Be- because um, when, when uh, an individual or a group involved in such activities, yeah. there are always unknown reasons. That that need need to be identified thoroughly, yeah. In order to apply tailor-made solutions, yeah. so uh, governments uh, generally uh, in Africa and especially in the Sahel uh, should adopt more proactive actions. Um, like uh, going to communities, know their expectations, and uh, try to understand at least what uh, drive the engagement in such activities. Yeah. Then to generate uh, comprehension uh, around the phenomenon before deciding uh, 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 undertaking any uh, action. Mm-hmm. That would, uh, because uh, when a phenomenon is well understood, it's easier to 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 adopt solutions. Uh, but instead, uh, instead, when the the situation is 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 not well understood, mm-hmm. it will be very difficult to to know the root causes of the phenomenon and treat them. As required. Yeah. So one of the issues today in the Sahel, because this is the area I know uh, the most. Yeah. Is um. Maybe is for this people lack... who don't know, uh, what countries um comprise of the Sahel? For our listeners who might not know. Yes, my focus is on the Central Sahel, which includes. Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso okay. when it comes to the Sahel. Yeah. And uh, in West Africa, I would say the 15 countries of ECOWAS, yeah. which is the economic community of West African yeah. states. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. So today, the local communities should be uh, the focus, although they should be at the center of the solutions. Uh, that are supposed to solve their own local problems. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is um, the solution that I I would suggest the the governments to uh, to start with. You know, for I mean, the beginning. So other issues might uh, might come up in the future, but for now. Uh, approaching local communities would be the best solution. Solution, yeah, yeah. Mm. I I totally hear you. I think it's important to have the people who are most 
affected be at the center of the of coming up <laughs> with the solution um yeah. i guess obviously within the bounds of also having people who are also impartial to also <laughs> be part of this of the same solutions otherwise then it might there might be also some interest um in between mm-hmm. the different the different groups if the groups that are only involved are those that are affected by the conflict but if there's someone who's impartial to come in between as well then there could be also different perspectives that are brought into into actually coming up with the solution yes of course uh but i would like to add something that's very important yeah there's some uh, state officials and local leaders are involved in in transnational organized activities Okay. which uh, makes makes it very difficult to to tackle uh, the the phenomenon I but um, there should be um, very strong political will yeah. to lead such process especially in the Sahel where uh, uh, most of uh, the communities, um, especially in the Liptaku Gurma and uh, yes, in that spe- specific region, mm-hmm. um, are almost generally criminalized. And some, some well-known businessmen are also involved in the phenomenon. It was the, the case of Old Abidin in, 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 in Niger who recently passed, uh, passed away. He was uh, uh, a prominent uh, figure of the ruling party. And he was really connected to the political sphere. Then it's a kind of intricate relationship that, uh, that exists between these businessmen and political um, actors and local communities. So even with the, with the, with the uh, defense and security forces. So it's a kind of jeering system that needs to be well understood if uh, uh, a solution, uh, if, if we want solutions to be well applied because uh, this jeering system is, uh, is what uh, sustain um, the phenomenon in the in the region. Interesting. Okay, so maybe the last question now is: um, What advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? Well, um, I would first of all uh, first of all welcome the person. Uh, because it's a very interesting uh, uh, field to explore. Um, conflict analysis and transnational organized crime are um, uh, analysis too are, are, are very key to contribute to the pacification of our communities. Yeah. Uh, as we all know, Africa needs peace more than anything else. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, first of all, I would like to to advise the person to to be really focused and be be aware of his or her environment. Yeah. Um, get to uh to read a lot yeah. about about um, I mean conflicts and organized crime itself yeah because uh, both phenomenon are interlinked mm-hmm. and um, yes uh, build a solid network within the professional who are engaged in the field yeah yeah this is very important uh, as when you start your career you need to be um, guided and you need mental uh, mentors to 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 guide you throughout the process and and and, and so forth yeah uh, yes and the last one uh, would be um, patience because in this field, it's sometimes very hard to to reach uh, the key targets, as uh, this might even be dangerous for the researcher himself. Yeah. When when you engage in analyzing a phenomenon like transnational organized crime, yeah. you have to be aware of the fact that you are going to to break a business chain. Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful and pay attention to yourself and how you speak to people, where you speak to them. And yes, so one should be very careful, but it's still, and very, uh, uh, it's still uh, a very interesting field yeah. to explore. So if someone wants to engage, then it would be uh, the person would be welcome. Okay, that's really interesting. So, any any last words that you have for our listeners? Any encouragement that you want to give them? Maybe a lesson that may not, or some piece of advice. Maybe just generally, like not necessarily from your prof- professional career, but it could just be a general piece of advice that you carry with you or that you apply to your life that you feel other people should be able to also apply in their life all right um uh first of all i would like to thank you pezu for organizing this interview uh it's a pleasure to support uh, such a valuable initiative yeah merci beaucoup musta (laughs) (laughs) Uh, then for our listeners uh i would like to to tell to tell them to be i mean to to stay focused and to be to believe in themselves no matter what happens in life when you really want to engage in something yeah uh, never listen to to people who are trying to discourage you or prevent you from doing what you really want to do. You have to believe in yourself, 
and stay focused and work accordingly. So this is a principle that I always apply in my life, being professional, social, and so on. But it is very important to believe in yourself and stay focused. That's a Thank good you very much. Thanks, Musa. That's a good piece of advice, to stay focused and always believe in yourself. I think that's really good. So listeners, thank you so much. And as you've heard, we've learned a lot today from Musa, um, from transnational organized crime to conflict analysis and um, to how this affects local communities. And most importantly, he wrapped up with leaving us with a piece of advice on ensuring that we must always stay focused and believe in ourselves. So once again, merci beaucoup, Musa, and have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you, Peso. Same to you.